Samuel chapter 20. And uh, our verses today will be verses 1 through 17. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. And God's word says, Then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is one there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at table with the king. But let me go, and I, will, I may hide myself in the field to the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asks leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says good, it will be well with your servant. But if he says, or if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself. For why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of, you, of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right, so the title of this sermon is The Death of Death. And um, I have, obviously I have Easter on my mind. That's already coming up next Sunday. I can't believe we're already to the Easter season. Uh, man, this, this year is just flying by. 
uh, but have Easter on my mind. And, and, and if we have Easter on our minds, that means we have the cross in mind. And uh, we shouldn't only have the cross in mind there in Easter. We should have it in mind every single day because we need that reminder. Amen. But we do especially have it in mind during this time of the year. And what we see here is we see a man at the end of his rope, so to speak. And I'm speaking about David. Uh, the further we get into this book, the clearer we are able to see David's desperation and his anxiety in dealing with his persecution at the hands of Saul. Uh, it's, it's, it's very easy for us to look at this book and to skip over the details and not realize that David is in anguish here because it's, it's so quick of a narrative. There, there's but a few sentences that really show us, really one sentence in particular, that really shows us the anguish that David is going through. So it's real quick to skip over that and think that David's just handling everything like a champ, uh, that, that he's, you know, that he's Jesus, so to speak. But he's not handling it well, and we see that here in our passage today. See, after many attempts on his life, David seems to be at the end of his rope here. Uh, he's reached a point of basically utter exhaustion and then also exasperation, like he's, he's given up. Uh, he has, seems like he has no more patience, no more endurance or energy to, just to keep going. He seems very, and the word that we're very familiar with nowadays is very depressed. Uh, we, we do use that word very often in our society, depressed, and that's the way it seems that David is. He's very depressed. But like many before him and after him, this is where, at the very pit of his life, in the deepest hole he's ever been in so far, this is where David finds the grace and mercy of the Lord, right? That's where you and I found that grace and mercy, at the very pit of our lives, at the, the, the deepest hole that we had ever been in, that's where we found the Lord. See, like David, you will not realize that the Lord is all you need until the Lord is all you have. That is not mine. I, I, I took that from Pastor Thale so many years ago whenever he used to preach here. And it was something that just always stuck with me because it, it, it felt so right. Um, when, when everything is stripped from you, when everything is taken from you, and you realize you can't depend on these temporary things, even people. You realize the Lord is all you have, then you realize he's everything that I need. And that's what David is finding out here. So I will spend my time teaching on, on, on what David says in verse 3. He says, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. I don't know about you, but I, I, I feel the anguish there. It was, it was great. He's in distress. And I, I'm going to spend my time talking about these words so that we can know that in our deepest, darkest moments, the Lord is still there. He is still faithful. Because it's important that we talk about these words because I know that everyone in here has felt the same kind of dread are the same kind of dread that David is experiencing here. But the wonderful thing for not only for David, but for us is that we who are in Christ have hope even when we are facing something as, as troubling as death. So through the hearing of his word, may the Lord give us wisdom to understand, a conviction to stir our hearts, and also the courage to respond as we should. 
So the first thing I want to do is give you context, as always. And I want to talk about the dread of death that David is, is facing. Uh, first of all, David's suffering at the hands of Saul began in 1 Samuel chapter 18. So we're in chapter 20, so only a couple of chapters before, but a lot has happened. Um, in chapter 18, Saul attempted to kill David with the spear, not once, but twice. We find out, I, don't, I, I do not know why Saul continues to try to kill David with the spear. He is an awful aim with that thing. He ends up trying to do it again later and, and misses again. He, he needed to choose another weapon, but it was probably God's providence that made him miss David, right? Not probably, it was. So, but Saul attempted to kill David twice and failed. Uh, also in chapter 18, Saul tried to use his daughter, Michael, to uh, make David fall by the hands of the Philistines. In order to gain his daughter, Michael, he says, you have to go and kill 100 Philistines. And his intentions were for David to go and die in battle with him. But David comes back with, with uh, 200 foreskins because his father-in-law, future father-in-law, asked for 100. So he comes back with 200. And there David's, or Saul sees the blessing that David has from the Lord, the anointing that he has from the Lord. So those are two instances there in chapter 18. Then in chapter 19, Saul attempted to kill David again with the spear, and he missed. Then Saul sent assassins to kill David. We talked about this last week. He sent four, on, diff, on four different occasions, he sent assassins to go and kill David, and they all failed. Then Saul hunted down David himself, and he attempted to kill him and failed. Now, like I said, two chapters, there's a lot going on here. Um, when we look at that, that's, that, that seems overwhelming for David. That's a, a lot for anyone really to go through. But at this point, we have to remember something about David is that he's really young. Um, David was born somewhere around 1040 B.C., right? So uh, around 1022, and we're counting downwards because we're talking about B.C., uh, 1022, he was 18 years old. That's when David was secretly anointed king by Samuel. So let me ask you, what were you doing when you were 18 years old? Were you uh, secretly being anointed to rule a nation? You know, that's, that's a lot to consider. And then in 1019 BC, when he was 21 years old, that's when David killed Goliath. And this is also, if, if you go back and look, after he killed Goliath, that's when uh, Saul began to be jealous of David's success and he began to hate him because of his jealousy and he began to persecute him. So this was the same age when Saul began to persecute him and try to kill him. He was only 21 years old. See, at this point in his life, David was spent and he also felt the reality of death closing in. There, there had been enough attempts on his life to make it a reality, like, well, this, this may happen. Like, I'm, I'm facing death right now. That's what David is thinking. Um, or maybe it may have been thinking. I would hate to claim exactly what David was thinking. Uh, what David didn't realize was that this was only the beginning of long suffering at the hands of Saul. Because David would spend the next nine years of his life on the run as Saul tried to kill him. So this was only the beginning, and David's already distressed about everything. And I, I don't blame him. I, I would be right there with him. Probably two attempts on my life would be enough for me to be worried about my life, much less how many David had on his. Um, 
Though David felt the weight of the world coming down on him, the wonderful thing that we see looking back is that the Lord continued to be faithful to him. And we see that with the life of Jonathan. The Lord gave David Jonathan. And he put Jonathan in his life to be his big brother. Jonathan, oh, this whole time, you know, I, well, since uh, Jonathan came into the picture, I had to, I don't know where I had taken it for granted or, or had saw it before, but I thought they were pretty close in age. In actuality, Jonathan was 18 years older, around 18 years older than, than David. So he really served as a, as a big brother. And not only that, but he also served as a protector. He, he served as, as, as David's helper in a way that, that he, he stood in between David and Saul. And the Lord put him there. The Lord put him there to protect David from his king and from his father. So Jonathan's relationship with David was nothing like his father's relationship with David. It was the complete opposite where Saul had jealousy towards David and wanted to, to, to end his life. Jonathan loved David and he formed a covenant with him. He was a true friend to David and David was a true friend to him. It was a, a wonderful picture of the second greatest commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, he, he was a true friend and his allegiance was with David over his father. And I think that's really important for us to see. Uh, look at verse 16. Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. That's a very powerful statement because what David is saying, or what Jonathan is saying, is basically uh, he's acknowledging that, that his, his father Saul might be an enemy of David, and yet he's pledging to the house of David. And he's making an allegiance with the house of David. And he's saying, may your enemies be cursed. And that shows us the love that he had for David. But let's talk about why he had that love. It was the Lord compelling him to, to, to love David, not only for the man that he was, but to love David because David was God's chosen instrument. David was the one who would replace Saul on God's timing of course but he would be the one to replace Saul and I don't know how Jonathan knew that obviously there is no limit to what the spirit of the Lord can do the spirit of the Lord enabled him to know that and he accepted that he gave up his his rightful place within the kingdom and he submitted himself to David not only as a friend but as a follower too as his king so it's a wonderful picture of, of how, uh, of, of, of true friendship. Jonathan was truly David's uh, friend. And again, it's amazing to see that the Lord compelled Jonathan to take this allegiance uh, instead of his own father. It was at the detriment of, of, of himself, and not only, it was also the detriment of his relationship with his father. Uh, he was forfeiting his promised throne because he recognized God's sovereign's choice in David. One thing is very evident, though. When we look at this passage, it's, it's very evident that David is exasperated. He is desperate. Um, and he is tired of his circumstance. And, and I, I'm convinced that David felt the dread of death. And if anyone in here, uh, when I say the dread of death, uh, if, if you've ever been in a near-death experience, um, if you've uh, suffered the death of a loved one, you watch them die, um, 
you, you know with what I speak of when I say the dread of death. It's, it's, it's a feeling that is like no other. And uh, I feel like David truly felt that in this moment in time. In fact, he felt as if death were one step away from him. That's his cry to his best friend. In his distress, he's being honest. He says, man, I, I just feel like death is at my door. So that's context, but let's talk about some biblical truths here. The, what I want to speak to you about next is the reality of death and the relief we have from its burden. See, David's admission about his true feelings in this dark time of his life helps us to deal with the dread of death in our own lives. Death has affected us all, either directly or indirectly. Our lives can be summed up in this way. In general, we are conceived, we are born, we live, and then we die. That's the fate of all mankind. None of us can change that. I think it was uh, Bob Dylan who said, uh, I was born here and I'll die here against my will. Makes a lot of sense, right? We don't choose the day that we die, or excuse me, the day that we're born, and we cannot choose the day that we die. But all of us have this in common. It doesn't matter where we are ranked in society, what race we are, what gender we are, and yes, there are genders, there are two. Doesn't matter, any of that doesn't matter. We are conceived, we are born, we live, and then we die. Unless we are Enoch or Elijah, we're all gonna go through that. As we live on this earth, as we grow older, and truly, I do like the word older. My wife and I were talking about that just the other day. I don't think we should be offended whenever we are called old or, or we are told we're getting older. Isn't it such a blessing to, to be older? It is. There are, some, uh, there are some things that you have to deal with, but... The Lord has kept us this long. He's not through with us. He's going to finish his work in us. So I do think that being called older is a, is a privilege. But as we grow older, we live knowing that one day we will die. We don't like to think about it because we have eternity placed in our hearts, but at some point, we will face death. And it's, it's funny how it works because death, and I'm going to personify death here just to help gain an understanding, but death has a way of checking up on us just so that we don't forget about our future meeting with him. He, he, he has a way of, of coming around. Uh, he reminds us of himself in our future meeting in the way of um, global pandemics, Right? That's been a, a topic of conversation for the last two, three years. Uh, that, that has been a reality for us. 
In fact, we've probably thought about death in the last two years than we have ever had before in our life. Just because it was, it was such a reality and it was ever before us. Um, death also reminds us during, uh, through our own near-death experiences. Some of us have been very close. And we've had to face the fact that this might be it. Maybe someone right now is going through that or the beginning of that. That, that is a very stressful type of situation. But it is reality. Or death reminds us that of our future meeting when we have the death of the people around us. People that we love and care about, even people that we're just familiar with. We, we, we see them on, on, on a daily basis or we see them often. And we hear of their death and it's just like, wow, we're shocked. Completely shocked. See, death is playing a game with us. I remember when all of our babies, they were very, very young, one of the first games that they like to play is peekaboo, right? That's how you can make a, a baby laugh. You play peekaboo with a baby, and death is playing this game of peekaboo with us where he, he comes out and he surprises us when we least expect it, and guess what? We do not want to play. We don't. We don't want to play. We don't want to play that kind of that game with death. In fact, we we don't want to see death. But he comes around us and he doesn't leave us alone. He's always reminding us of our future meeting. And the thing that we the reason why we don't want to play with death is because every time he comes around, he leaves us with a scar to remind us of the anxiety, the pain and the loss that he causes. These scars are real. They never go away. I've been in ministry long enough to, to, to see death more than I want to. I've been in enough living rooms and bedrooms and hospital rooms. I've, been in, I've officiated enough funerals and I've been in a, at enough funerals to say I, I don't want to play this game anymore. But yet, it's a reality. We must continue to live knowing that we will die. We must continue to live even though death comes by and reminds us that he is still around. Now, how we respond to the reality of death reveals the strength of our faith to trust God with our lives. I think this is one of the biggest tests of our faith. The reality that death is near every single day. Because our faith, our faith is tested all the time, but, but I, just, I just see this as a true test of faith and a true test of, of, of the strength of our faith to trust God with our very lives. Like David, we will all have moments of weakness. It's not if, but when. Many people thought they were ready for death until COVID came around. Then they realized, oh yeah, I am afraid of it. I am fearful of this. I am human. We all have moments of weakness, but let me tell you something. The Lord's presence will always give us comfort, and he will always bring us back to center. And that's what we see happening here in this passage.
The Lord is using Jonathan to minister to David, to remind him of God's goodness, to give him a friend, an ally, to bring him back to center. And I feel like we need that from time to time. See, one thing that is helpful for us to know is that death ultimately has two possible realities. There's only two. In death, we either die in God's grace or we die in his wrath. And what I mean by that is we either die having Christ, which, in which we receive grace, or we die not having Christ, in which we receive wrath. If we have Christ, and I'm hoping, praying that everyone in here does, but if you do not, listen very carefully. If we have Christ, then we should see death differently than those who don't have it. And I want to share a passage with you. I, I want to go to the New Testament um, to finish off this uh, point, if you will, because I think this is very helpful and it's, and it's very um, needed for what I'm talking about now. Uh, this passage is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. The topic itself that we're speaking of here or that I'm going to read about here is, is death. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. I'll give you just a few seconds to, to find that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. This is what God's word says. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Now, I think from a, this gives us the right perspective. And, and I, I speak about how we should see, as, as Christians, we should see death differently. But the struggle is many of us don't see it different, differently. And, and you can ask, well, how, how can that be? We're Christians. We're, we should automatically see it differently. No, that's not, that's not the way it works. When we look at this passage, it seems like we have uh, two choices every single day. We either walk by sight or we walk by faith. And I think a lot of Christians have seen death in, in, in the light of or in the lens of sight rather than the lens of faith. Because when we see death as in the lens of sight, then um, we're afraid of it. We grow fearful of it, and we have anxiety, we go through depression, and, and we go through a lot of different things. But when we look at it through the lens of faith, it changes. Death changes. Why? Because Christ has overcome the grave. And that's what the Easter season is all about, right? In fact, that's what every Sunday is all about. That's what every day is all about. That we, as Christians, walk in victory because he has overcome the grave. He has defeated death. So this is what happens. I, I want to give you two parallels. The first is as we look at death with our human sight, human, our, our human brain, our, our intellect, and try to decipher things from there. And then I want to give you the comparison of when we look at death through the lens of faith. So Paul says here, we should walk by faith, not by sight, when it comes to death. So to walk by sight 
we see death as inevitable, like the rest of the world does. We see it as inevitable. And because it is inevitable, that means there is fear. The fear of death comes to us because it cannot be escaped. And we see that, and it's like, I'm going to have to go through that. There's no matter how much money I have, there's no matter how much resources I have, how healthy I am, I'm going to have to go through that. And I cannot change that. Every time it comes around, death reminds us that we too will die one day. That's looking at it through the lens of just our human intellect. Now, looking at it through the lens of faith, in Christ, we understand that death is a release. See, the fear of death is erased when we look at it through the lens of faith because although it is inevitable, we understand that it is necessary in order to be released from this life of pain and suffering. It, we, we realize that. Yes, it's inevitable. We all have to do it. But the reason why we have to go through it is so that we can be released from this temporary life. From this temporary place. See, it changes everything. Instead of this doom that, oh, we all have to go through and there's no hope in it. No, it's, it's necessary for us to be released from our pain and suffering. It truly must get worse before it's going to get better. Truly. That, that's just the way it is. Looking at death through the lens of faith changes that. It erases that worry about it. Well, looking at it again through human logic, we see that death's timing is unknown. That scares us. Oh, I am... Hardly anybody likes to be surprised. I've never met somebody who says, oh, I love surprises. I love them. We want to know. We want to know. And death, his timing is unknown. So the fear of death comes to us because we don't know when it will come for us. We can try to decide. We can try to figure it out. We can try to do all kinds of different things. People spend money going to people, mediums, all kinds of things, trying to figure out how long they're going to live, when they're going to die, what kind of life they're going to have. And it doesn't help them. They're, they're seeking evil spirits instead of seeking the author and finisher of life. So when we don't know its timing, we grow anxious about it. Could be here today, could be here tomorrow, next week. We don't know. Like David... We feel as if we are on a collision course with death and we are but one step away from it. At any moment, we could come face to face with it. Now, when we look at it through the lens of faith, we realize that death is unknown. But we also realize that death has a master. Death has a master. See, the fear of death is erased because we know that death is controlled by one. Things happen according to the plans of our Lord. We serve a God who is the author and finisher of life. And we understand as Christians that he will complete the work that he began in us. 
we will not live one day longer or one day shorter than what God has already determined for us. Even though we don't know when that's going to happen, we know that somebody else does, and that is awesome. That is, that is a great encouragement, that our lives are in the hands of the Lord. Now, looking back over with intellect, death is intimidating. The fear of death comes to us because of the unknown about the reality, a reality of life after death. We are fearful of what we do not know. In Christ, death is the realization of hope. See, the fear of death is erased by the hope that is found in God's word about the afterlife. We, we don't have to wonder about what's going to happen. We, we know because God's word says we are going to be with him. We are going to see him face to face. We are going to be with each other. There will be no more sin. There will be no more pain. There will be no more death. God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. God's word gives us a bunch of wonderful promises about it. We have the hope of his word. And we know that God does not ever disappoint us. So we are to be of good courage because being with the Lord, much better than being here. And then when we look at it through logic, we see death is final. The fear of death comes to us because there is nothing that we can do about it. There's nothing that, we can, that can undo it, rather. Once we're dead, we're dead. Death brings hopelessness. But in Christ, we understand that death is temporary. The fear of death is erased because it is only another part of life. Through death, we continue the better part of our everlasting life in Christ. See, it matters on how we look at it. That determines the perspective that we have. That determines the reaction that we have towards it. Christian, are you walking by sight? Are you walking by faith? We use that verse for everything else. But when it comes to death, which what Paul is speaking about here in that verse, that's what we should be thinking about. Not only our own death, but also the death of those who are around us, those who we care about. When we look at 1 Samuel chapter 20, we must realize this. David did not have the understanding that we have about death. We, we have to give him some credit. He didn't have the understanding. He didn't have, uh, he didn't have the New Testament. He didn't have uh, the privilege of being able to go to Paul's writings and, and understand the, the reality of death and the blessings of it after of the afterlife, as, as, as specific as we have it in God's word. So, so he did not understand it because it had not been fully revealed. You, on the other hand, me, on the other hand, we have the best blessing through the Spirit of God and by His Word to see death through the lens of faith. In other words, all excuse is taken away from us. That's why I say facing death is a good test of the strength of your faith to trust God with your life. The next time death comes around and wants to play peekaboo with you, sock him in the eye. That's the good fight. 
knock him in the eye, let him know that his presence doesn't scare you. Why? Because we are of good courage and we would rather be away from this body and at home with the Lord. Then let's uh, end it with this. As far as applications go, I've given you several here, or many within just the uh, biblical truth side of it, but I do want to leave you with one more. In Christ, we have everlasting life, and that's something that we need to remind ourselves as, as we live. Today begins the Christian observance of the Easter holiday, which we uh, refer to as Resurrection Day. We recognize today as, Palm Sun today as Palm Sunday. And when we talk about Palm Sunday, it is in reference to the day that Jesus triumphantly entered Jerusalem on his way to the cross. And so this begins uh, the Holy Week, so to speak. In every sense of the phrase, though, when we look at Jesus triumphantly entering Jerusalem, Jesus stepped nearer and nearer to death until he came face to face with the cross. So when you look at the parallels here, it's pretty awesome of what David is speaking and, and what we know Christ went through. We also observe Good Friday. Friday, or Good Friday, signifies the day that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of his people. You ever think, why is it called Good Friday? Such a horrible thing happened. The creatures killed the creator. Horrible. But it was good in the sense of its outcome. Through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, God's people were cleansed by his blood and the guilt of their sin was taken away. That's why it's Good Friday. Through these two days, shine the light, the light of God shines on us and also on his grace. The fact that he forgave our sins and the fact that he gave us eternal life with him. In other words, I want you to think about this as you live your life this week. As you think about Easter approaching. When Christ went to the cross and was put to death, he, through his sacrifice, he put death to death for the believer. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 15 say this. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You, me, we were the ones who were delivered from the slavery of death. We were the ones who were delivered and given life to the full. We're the ones who were delivered and will spend eternity with our Lord and Savior. So Christian, understand that he died once and for all so that you can have life everlasting for you and listen very carefully here 
for you, there is no fear in death. 1 John chapter 4, verses 15 through 18. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So I'll end with this. There is no need for you to dread death because perfect love casts out fear. And according to God's word, you, you are dearly loved by God. Let's pray.